All right, let's get into the word. Um, you all know what I'm about to say. There's Bibles in the back, so go grab one if you need one. There's tons of them. There's a couple of different translations back there. Someday we'll talk about uh, different translations and all that kind of thing. I once heard somebody say, and I've held on to it ever since, the best translation of the Bible is the one that you read. So uh, I use ESV. We can talk about why that is another time. But anyway, they're back there too. There's plenty of Bibles. So go get them. Take them, hand them out, give them out. Um, I have tons of them, and I'll buy more. It's my favorite thing to make available. But what we're doing is moving through the Bible chronologically, looking at God's action, his plan, who he is. We're learning to see God basically through his word. His word is kind of like glasses. It's kind of like these. Like you may, maybe, what, what is God like? What does he enjoy? What does he hate? What, what color eyes does he have? You know, that might be a little extreme. But you know what I'm saying? What, what kind of person is he? Well, the way to figure that out is to look at his word. So it's almost like when you're reading his word, it's almost like putting glasses on where you can see him. Uh, and the more that you read his word, the more you begin to see the whole picture of him, uh, which is another reason I don't just hand out New Testaments, because as much as I love the power of the New Testament, it is only a tiny little quarter of the word of God. So you need to see all of who he is. And uh, that's why we're starting in Genesis. We're going to go all the way through, um, again, not covering everything. But so far, we've looked at the Trinity and who God is in that sense. And then we looked at creation. We looked at Adam and Eve. We looked at how sin entered into the world through uh, their rejection of God and their desire to be in authority. And in doing so, God also issued this promise that a seed would crush the work of the enemy, that a seed of this woman would restore um, paradise, uh, just basically promise of a seed that would make things right, that seed being a person, a, a child at some point. So we've been following through the word, looking for that seed, and we've covered a lot of ground, but we've only, we're only in Genesis. We'll get out of Genesis in the next couple of weeks, but Genesis, you got to know, covers an immense amount of time. The first... 11 chapters alone go from creation through the population and destruction of the world and population again in a lot of ways. So there's a, there's a lot that goes on. When we get into Exodus, it slows way down, but God is pushing us towards this seed. So we move through that, through the flood, through to Abraham, this family. We move from Abraham to his son Isaac, which is where we're at today. And today we're going to pick the story up with Isaac's children and continue. And the question today is, why is this happening? Uh, you could stick to me on the end of that, but I kind of left it off because we could apply it in a lot of ways. But why is this happening? Question that we ask a lot, I, I think, or maybe I do. Maybe I'm the only one. But, but the context here is asking that question after an answered prayer. So have you, have you ever asked, why is this happening after an answered prayer? Like God answered something for you, you get the answer, but then you find yourself confused on, well, why is it happening this way? Now, I've been there. Um, and you may not even be mad about it, but it can be confusing. Anyway, here we go. Genesis chapter 25. We're going to cover a lot. I'm not going to read through. I'm just going to, we're going to talk through, but we're going to narrow in on just a couple of verses, but we're going to cover a big picture around it. Verse 21. Chapter 25, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled within her, and she said, If this 
if it's thus or if it's this way, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. So let's do that right now. Lord, thank you for your word. We come before you to place it uh, in the highest authority. I know we're a church. I know I'm a pastor. Uh, but all that makes me is a servant to you who prayerfully, Lord, I, honors you well in the way that I serve you and serve others. But, Lord, you're, you are the authority. Your word is always the authority. I, I submit fully to your word. And I pray that as we get into it today that you speak clearly to all of us, myself included, that we can glorify you with what we learn from it. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So, two buddies out of high school that I was very close to, uh, both of them decided to go into the Marines, like pretty much right out of high school. And one of them, probably the one I was more close to, uh, he, they both wanted to get out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, where we lived at the time, and a little, little town they wanted to get free of. And, but for Todd... He wanted to be a devil dog. Like, he talked about it all the time. Like, he wanted front lines. He wanted to kill somebody. Or he thought he did. He wanted to go to the battlefront, wherever the battlefront was. And this is in the early 90s, so there really wasn't one. But uh, he wanted it. Like, that's all he talked about. I want that. I don't care how tough it is. I, I want to be a grunt. I mean, that's what he wanted. And so when he graduated high school, they took him straight to Paris Island, tried to kill him. You know, and it threw basic, but he, he made it, he got through. Andy, on the other hand, wanted to get out of Chattanooga, and he didn't really give a flip. What happened? He just wanted an adventure. He just wanted out. So he joined the Marines as well. He also went to Paris Island and went through all the struggle of basic training uh, and then moved on. So the result, Todd, the one that wanted to get in there and fight and battle and war and do everything in the front lines, ended up pushing a pencil for some officer in North Carolina, basically became a secretary in North Carolina. Uh, Andy, on the other hand, who just wanted to get out, ended up on an aircraft carrier in the Mediterranean having the time of his life. And Todd, to this day, hates the Marines. Can't stand it. He couldn't wait to get out. He was so mad. So end up pushing a pencil. So sometimes I feel like, and maybe this is a push to get there, but sometimes I feel like we treat prayer and God's plan that way. Like we have these desires and we have these wants and we take them to God and we expect God to respond to it. And he does. He grants our desires and he brings us into his plan. But then it's not exactly the way we thought it was going to be. Or, you know, it's not exactly what we had hoped it would be. And it might aggravate us. It might confuse us. We might even find ourselves flat out asking, okay, why is this happening? You know, why, why is this happening? Could it be, and I want you to think about this, could it be that some of the struggles in your life now are actually the result of answered prayers in your past? Could it be that some of the struggles in your life now are actually the result of answered prayers in your past? I can I can absolutely, we don't have time, but I can absolutely detail cases of that. Particularly, I don't have to take my own life. I can take a missionary. They answer God's prayer and they go to a country where, you know, they're killed or suffer or whatever else. So anyway, could it be that that's the case? What might that mean? Is God, think about this, is God leading you into something 
in response of your prayer? Is God leading you out of something? He might be. I don't know. Is he teaching you something? Is he prepping you for something? Got something he wants you to do. Maybe he's prepping you for it. So actually, this is not a bad question. If you frame it right, why indeed is this happening? You know, what is it we're looking for? So I always give you a one line to remember. It's on the sheet. But either way, it's this. Though God may answer our prayer, it will always be for his purposes, even if it confuses us at times. And this is the key. So we have to trust his plan is bigger than our prayers. Hear what I'm saying there? We, and, and believe me, am I preaching to myself today? We have to discuss, we have to decide to accept the fact that his plan is bigger than our prayers. So quick history to get to where we are with, with what we said. In chapter 24, I'm not going to read all this. You can read it in your own time. But Abraham sends a servant to find a wife for Isaac. He sends the servant back to the land that he came from because he doesn't want Isaac scooping up one of these uh, pagan people where they're at now. He wants him marrying somebody who's family and trustworthy and they, they have a history together, that kind of thing. So he sends him back to the land to find a wife for Isaac. So the whole thing is in God's hand because this servant doesn't know what he's looking for for the most part. So he ends up getting back to this land and he goes and he sits by a well outside of the town, confused, like, what do I do? Again, it's in God's hands, but he's sitting in a well, which is where the women are going to come. So he's trusting that, okay, well, God, I don't know what we're going to do here, but we're going to do something. So as the women start coming out, he prays and he says, okay, God, here's what we'll do. If somebody, um, whichever, whichever girl, I'll ask for water, and whichever girl says, I'll feed your camels as well, is going to be the girl that is the right girl. That's how we're going to decide God. So that's what I'll, but, but, but he didn't even finish saying that. And Rebecca walks up to him and says, can I feed your camels too? And his jaw drops. You know, it's Dave translation, but his jaw drops and he can't believe it. He literally says he's shocked. Like he can't believe that that quick that got answered. Not only that, but she's beautiful. She's from the family of Abraham. So she's beautiful. She's a virgin. She does exactly what he said in that prayer. He's just blown away and stunned. It says he falls down and he worships. And when they return, Isaac, you can read, there's more to the story, but you can read it. But when they return, Isaac sees them coming. She sees Isaac. And you have this almost like goofy movie moment where they run to each other. Kind of sitting there. I mean, sitting there. First, maybe strong example in the Bible of love at first sight, you know, um, for both of them. But then you got what we're looking at today, 25, chapter 25, verse 21. What's the problem? She's barren. See what it says? Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And then, if that's not crazy enough, the children struggled together within her. And she said, if this is the case, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. You know, we take for granted, and I'm, I'm one of them too, um, that our human body just functions like it's supposed to. And my doctor keeps telling me that every time I see him. You, you, and I'm going to see him again Friday. You keep taking for granted that your heart's pumping like it's supposed to. Uh, and so you keep eating those French fries, you know. Uh, but even when it functions correctly, even when it's functioning correctly, it's still fully and entirely dependent upon God. Take the healthiest athlete on the planet. 
and remove the oxygen in the room. It's a done deal, right? You take the strongest woman alive and just don't provide any rain. There's no food. Before long, she withers away. She can't eat. Uh, Even the most healthy reproductive system still requires God to put a spark of life inside somewhere. Nobody understands that because that's fully in God's hands. What makes that spark happen, you know, where life comes in. But when it's broken, when it's broken, everything seems confusing. Notice here. Here we got Isaac, right? It says, look at what the text says. It says, Isaac goes and he prays for that son. God, let me have that son. It's going to be that football player. It's going to be that, you know, stud hunter that's going to go on all his fishing trips with me. He's going to inherit the kingdom. Or maybe, you know, he prays for that little girl. Let me have that little girl that's going to wrap me around her finger and all that kind of stuff. That's not what it says, is it? Look what it says. He prayed for what? Two words. His wife. Y'all looking at the text. Y'all got to go with me. That's why I say you better have a Bible. He prayed for his wife. Right? He prayed for his wife. I don't care if there's 10,000 people in here. I'm still, we're going to talk. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he prayed for his wife twice in the same sentence. In the same sentence that says his wife. We know her name. It's Rebecca. We already knew that. But he didn't say Rebecca. He says his wife. Scripture repeats it two times. This is technically... The first description of a wedding type scenario or, or ceremony in the Bible. Um, others obviously took wives, it says. Adam and Eve, uh, God gave Eve to Adam. There's principles without question that, that show marriage from the beginning. But this is kind of the first one where you have the coming together. You have the celebration event. You have the kind of consummation on the marriage night. All those things. And unlike Abraham, Jacob, and so many others, Isaac only ever has Rebecca. Um, in fact, verse 67 says, that he brought her into his family. And back in 24, she became his wife and he loved her. I think those are powerful pictures of what a marriage is supposed to be like. She came his, became his family. She became his wife and he loved her. There's something like really intimate that's happening here in this moment back in where Isaac is praying. It's not in the... Sexual sense when I say intimate, it's more in like this really tight, deep, personal love that's going on between God, Isaac and Rebecca, all three of them. Like Isaac is going to God on behalf of his wife. Like there's a seriously intimate connection between the three of them. And note God responded and said to Isaac's prayer, although surely she was praying, right? I'm sure she was praying. Probably more so than anybody, but he he responds to what Isaac says. So I guess maybe one Saturday, Isaac comes home and before you know watches the early game, and uh, but before the late game comes on, he decides, you know what, today I think I'm gonna skip the nap and just go on and pray for my wife. Maybe she'll get you know pregnant and we'll have that kid next week. Obviously, that's not what happened, right? Obviously, that's not what happened. Do you think he was a little more intentional about his prayer? You know? In fact, 
How often do you think he, it's not a one time thing. How often do you think he prayed for this? How long do you think he prayed for this? We actually know the answer to that. If you look in verse 19 and look in verse 26, he was 40 when he met her and he was 60 when she got pregnant. So how long did he pray for that? 20 years. Now, 60 is real time 60. You know what I'm saying? So he was 60 before he became dad. And he never quit praying. I mean, I'm telling you right now, if I started at 40, I'm probably done at 41. 42 maybe. I don't know. But for 20 years, even at the age of 60, he is still praying for this. And it says God granted his prayer. I love this word, okay? It's not like thinking of the genie. Okay, give me your three wishes. It's not about wishes. It's about spending 20 years of your life over something. And the word granted here, it literally means moved by. And it doesn't mean that like he forced God's hand, like he wore God out and forced God's hand. It means God's heart was moved by this dude's continual Desperate, constant pleading for his wife. Not for a kid. He did want a kid. That's guaranteed, no doubt. But his focus is on my wife. Like, she must have been burdened, too, to some unbelievable level. But we don't know that. We just know that his heart is broke for her. And he's not trying to get around anything. He's not trying to say, let's adopt a kid. He's not trying to say, let's find a kid. He's not trying to pull the whole uh, uh, Hagar thing, you know, and do that. He, he's literally praying for her specifically. I love that. He's not saying, we got to have a kid. Lord, we got to have a kid. His focus is not on the kid. His focus is on his wife. Well, what about her, you know? She says, why is this happening? We think that too. We do. Different scenarios. Do we actually go ask God? I feel like more often than not, we probably don't because we think it's wrong. I don't question God, you know. So you give some churchy Sunday school answer like, well, he knows what's best. But in your heart, you already know what you're thinking. You already know what you're saying. How about getting frustrated with God or confused with God? Is that okay? Can you do that? You prayed and you prayed and you prayed. Finally, he's answered. Finally, he's come through. But it hurts. Or maybe it's life-threatening. Certainly, it's confusing. It's definitely not what you envision. Are you ungrateful if you question him about it? You know, verse 22 there again. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus... Why is this happening to me? I love this. So she went to inquire of the Lord. What do you think it means that she went to inquire of the Lord? The word there is actually walked. But it means she went. What do you think that means? She went somewhere. She didn't just say, ouch. Okay, God, tell me what's going on here. You know what I'm saying? She like made intentional time to go somewhere it, it didn't say it didn't mean she went to you know far off land or she went and got her a bed and breakfast room somewhere and it didn't mean that necessarily could it just means that she assigned away time with god and went to deal with this 
You know, how long? Don't know. Where? Don't know. What posture? Do you think she was on her knees? Do you think she was on her face? Do you think she was standing? Do you think she was pacing? Do you think she was shouting? Do you think she was crying? I say probably all of the above. That would be my opinion. Uh, years ago, I got, I will not go into this story, but I'll tell you this. Years ago, I got absolutely demolished by a pastor. And I don't know if you've been hurt by a church person, uh, particularly a pastor. It is a different kind of pain. It's hard to explain. And I pray that none of you deal with that. Certainly not for me. But um, just got really stabbed in the back by, by a pastor who had been a pastor for a long time for myself and Molly. And, and it messed me up pretty bad. And I, it's a long story, but to cut to the chase, I was so confused with God and so frustrated with God. Because it's like I've been faithful to you. I've been following you. I have laid down my job. I've laid down everything. And now I'm. I can't even be near this man again, and everything in my life is linked to this church. Uh, and so what are you doing? And in, I was in Chattanooga area at the time in Tennessee, east, southeast Tennessee. And so there's some mountains there. They're not as high as these mountains, but there's one in particular. And I went up on it. I had a little spot up there I found. And I started yelling and screaming at God. I was all by myself. I was on the cliff looking off the west brow of the mountain and just yelling at him. And uh, it was a beautiful day. And I remember going, say something. Just say something. And, like, just tell me it's okay. And I heard, like, a hawk or something. And I was like, oh, is that supposed to be the sign? Or, you know, is that where you know? I, I remember I was saying that to him. I mean, I was mad. I was crying. Uh, I was shouting. I was all but cussing. I had my Bible up there as well just because I was there. And I was probably there for a few hours. I don't know how long. Um, and at one point, just because it was so beautiful, I ended up laying my Bible. I found this big rock, and it was almost like an altar. It was an awesome little spot. And so I was kneeling at that thing and all this other kind of stuff. So before I left, I ended up taking my Bible, putting it on that rock, and taking a picture of it. And I got the picture still. Do you all have it back there? So there's the picture of the Bible on the rock and all so, so I took that shot, and I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool looking, whatever. So anyway, I never heard God say anything. I like, never heard anything. I felt a little better because for about three hours I had unloaded on him, and all I wanted to know was please tell me that there is a plan. Please tell me that you have my have me, like you've got this. You know, I know you do, but, but that's the church answer. I don't feel like that right now. I, I want you to help me feel that, you know. So I went home, and later on was unloading pictures. That was actually taken with a, a, a digital camera because they don't. Uh, that, that was before everybody's cell phone could do anything, you know. And uh, so that was with the digital camera. So I went home, and I unloaded. And if you remember these digital cameras, when you load the card in there, the pictures are gigantic. I mean, they're just huge. So when I loaded it in there, it was giant, and it zoomed in. It just naturally zoomed, had been zoomed in on my Bible, on that picture right there. And I just randomly opened it. I was taking a picture. I didn't care where it went. So it zoomed straight in on that page, that left page, and this is what's right in my face. It's Psalm 89, verse 20, and it says, I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil, I've anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm shall strengthen him. 
you know? Oh, I lost it. Like, happy. Like, I was like, Shh, I know he's not talking. I know I'm not that David, but he said my name. You know what I'm saying? He said my name, and he said exactly what I was asking. I got you. He didn't tell me the answer. He just said, I got you. You know, I, I got this. Clearly, Rebecca is in physical pain. It says struggled. Literally, that word struggled means crushed together. So the babies are crushing together against each other. And she's also probably emotionally concerned, right? Something's wrong. Like, this is not, something's wrong. I mean, she hadn't been pregnant before. She's barren. But still, she's got to know that it's not supposed to hurt like that all the time. They're doing something is wrong in there. Um, she probably knows about Abraham and Isaac. And the whole trip up the mountain, could God take her, take her children? Could something go wrong? Some translations even interpret her to be saying here, just let me die. Like, whatever the pain is, or whatever the struggle is emotionally, whatever, whatever it is, it's got her so brokenhearted and afraid that she's saying, just let me die. Um, but, she inquired of God, why is this happening like this? Like, I was barren, you gave me a child, but then this, and he answered her. Look in verse 23. The Lord said to her. I love that. She went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said. Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other. And the other shall serve the younger. This answer from God is a powerful prophecy in the Bible. But it's given to this woman. Not to Isaac. Given to her. Directly. So if Isaac knows about it, he's only got one way of knowing about it. She told him. Um, and you'll see as we go through the word, there are a lot of places where God specifically addresses women. That's one of the beautiful things about the Bible. It, it really celebrates women as well. All right. For, especially for a, quote, Middle Eastern document. Anyway. Um, consider what he's saying, though. This is not a medical diagnosis, right? It didn't come. This is not from the OB, right? Like something's wrong here. They're fighting. I'm suffering. I'm in pain. And his answer is, oh, yeah, well, you've got two nations in your womb that are, you know, that, how is that possibly comforting? You know, like, OK, thanks, God. I feel much better now. You know, <laughs> right? Notice the language, too. They are in your womb. They shall be divided shall be stronger, shall serve. Is there any chance what's going on here won't happen? No chance. Since God is saying definitively these things are happening and will happen, most definitely. So I want you to think about this question because we're going to talk a little bit here further and then we'll pull it up. But is God evaluate in this moment, is God, when he's saying this, is he evaluating the future situation or is he determining it? You understand the difference? Okay. When she comes to him and she says, I'm hurting. He says, well, you have two nations in your womb and, you know, on and on. Is he evaluating the situation? Saying, well, I can see the future. So here's what's going on in the now. Or is he determining it? Is he saying this is the case? And I'll, I'll be honest with you. Based on how you answer that question is going to determine how well you trust God with prayer. Just being honest. And I'm not attacking. I'm just being honest. Because what you're saying, if he's, let's look at the two things. If he's not entirely sovereign over the situation, then there's a limit to what he's able to do in response to your prayer. 
If he's not entirely sovereign over the situation, there's a limit to what he can do in response to your prayer. All right? On the other hand, if he is entirely sovereign over the situation, there's no limit to what he can do in response to your prayer. But there's a trade-off. The trade-off is he alone determines how he's going to answer the prayer, when he's going to answer the prayer, and for what purpose he's going to answer the prayer. You understand what I'm saying with that? Does that make sense? And let me just go ahead and make it real clear to you. You can know without a doubt that God's sovereign over the situation because what was her condition before this started? Barren. So she's not even in a position to do anything. God made her able to conceive. In fact, because God created Rebecca in the first place, you could say that God made her barren and made her able to conceive. In both cases, she has no control over either one, ultimately. Because even, again, if her body was perfectly healthy, it still means God has to give the spark of life. So in either case, and don't forget this too. You know, these boys that are going to be born to her, their own father is the same scenario. Remember? Isaac's mom couldn't have kids either. Isaac was a miracle baby. She was barren. All right, look look at Romans chapter 9. And this is a heavy chapter. Maybe one day we'll go through it. It's one of my favorites in the Bible, but it can be challenging. But I, I, I want to show you just where Paul addresses kind of God's sovereignty, but he points back to this moment. And so that's why I'm sharing it with you. Verse 9 says, for this is what the promise has said. He's referring to scripture, talking about where God came to Abraham and said, you're going to have a son. He says, about this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. Paul goes on. He says, well, not only with Sarah, but also with Rebecca. Uh, he says, when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. I know that's loaded. I know that there's words in there that can be challenging, that can be, some people will see them as offensive. We can talk about them as deeply as you want to, but right now all I want you to see is that there's no argument that God is controlling this situation sovereignly for his own plan. For his own plan. And we assume, listen, we get twisted by this because we assume if God executes his plan on us, upon us or whatever, that's not fair. That's not fair. But let's make a few observations. First one, do you want fair? Better be sure before you beg God to be fair that you actually want fair. Because fair means that he's going to look at uh, your life and he's going to decide if you've merited whatever it is that he's going to do. Right? Where are you stand on that one? How are you doing on that one? You know, fair is, and I hate to say it, but fair is we all go to hell. That's what fair is. Because that's what we've all earned in that sense. Do you want, another observation, do you want his will to be done, don't you? Don't you want his will to be done? Don't we say all that all the time? God, we want your will to be done in our lives or whatever. Jesus said it. 
your will be done, right? At facing the cross. Don't we want his will to be done? So why would we ask him to answer our prayers? And we're praying about something we obviously cannot change. That's why we're asking him to do it. So why would we ask him to sovereignly change a situation? Claiming we want his will to be done in it. And then strip him of the power to decide how to do it. Because the outcome's got to be up to us, you know. And then the last little thing I challenge you to think about, and this is the strongest one, is what does God's word say? Just what does it say? Is it about interpreting it or accepting it? I think there's a lot more things in the Bible that are less about how we interpret them and more about whether or not we're going to accept them. A lot of times things get heavy and it's easier to just say, well, we must be interpreting them wrong. So we want to try to make them more palatable, but that's not always the case. So here's a question for you. Would she live to see, Rebecca, these two great nations that are coming from her womb? No way. Like, I mean, she lived to see her children and maybe grandchildren, but not, not the whole nations. It's bigger than her. That's what he's saying to her. He's like, I know that's what he's telling her without saying it. I know you're struggling. I know you're hurting. I know I answered your prayer. But believe me, the prayer is that I answer in you is bigger than just you. It's way bigger. Maybe God's plan's bigger than you. Maybe it involves you. Maybe it comes in response to your prayer, but maybe it's not ultimately about you. Could you accept that? Could you accept that? If God answered a prayer in your life, but it wasn't actually about you? Why is this happening to me? Well, maybe the answer is because of your great, 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 grandchildren. Would that be okay with you? Becca could have never imagined. That Jacob would become not just a great nation, but Jacob would become the nation of Israel. One of her two children would become the nation of Israel, the nation of, uh, chosen by God, who God lived among and walked among. And from that nation, she could have never known that the son of God himself, the seed, would be among them from her own body generations down the road. She could never have possibly known that. Even the barrenness pointed to Christ. You have a virgin birth in Christ's sake. Both cases, you have this miracle conception. Christ is, God's, well, Christ too, is using this whole moment. So how should that change the way we view answered prayer? The way we view struggles and confusion and, you know, we know God's working, but we don't understand why it's got to be this way. Uh, after, after, as the story goes on in verse 24, when her days to give birth were completed, and it says there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. After his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, Jacob holding the heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when he bore them. There are twins here. Doesn't mean that one came out, doesn't mean Esau came out hairy, uh, and you know, red like a monster. You know what I'm saying? You understand children look different, you know? So he did have, uh, he was, some kids come out and they got a whole head of hair and you're like, wow, he's got a whole head of hair. It's that kind of idea. He had a he was a hairy guy. Uh, red, red's not a big deal either necessarily. It doesn't mean he was like some kind of alien. 
Uh, he had a red skin tone, which is significant because they're in the Middle East. And I, I'm not being funny. I'm just, this is where it's coming to. You think about Native Americans in a sense, more of a red hue to the skin idea in the Middle East. It stood, he stood out in that sense. So Esau was more of a hunter. We'll talk about these things next week, but Esau was more of a hunter. He delighted in killing things, um, spending time away from his family other than his father. Esau kind of symbolizes the man who thirsts for power and conquest and domination, whereas Jacob is more of a man of peace, it says in verse 27, implying the opposite of Esau's thirst for killing. He's more of a, a peaceful type guy that he's living with his family. He stays at home. Some call him a mama's boy, maybe. It's definitely mama's favorite. Um, Jacob became the father of Israel, Esau becomes the father of Edom. Edom is kind of the enemy of Israel for a while throughout the Old Testament. In fact, when Rome occupies Israel in the New Testament and the years that follow and and, and around that time period, the rabbis and the leaders were afraid of being arrested for talking about Rome. So they called them Edom. So it gives you an idea of what they thought about him. Jacob and Esau here wrestling kind of symbolizes this struggle of of light, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness, and kind of the end of the age and Christ's return. We'll talk about all that later. But holding his heel is interesting. That almost points my brain back to the original promise, the seed. Do you remember what it was that was said in Eden that he will... Crush your head and you'll bite his heel. There's like this tension pointed at the heel. And so in a sense, you have this kid coming out. and He's grasping the heel. And his name means one who cheats to get ahead because that's what it looks like he's doing is cheat, trying to cheat his brother out and get ahead. We'll talk about that again next week. Let's finish up here. Verse 27 says, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Esau loved, or Isaac loved Esau because he ate all of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Literally, they are playing favorites. <laughs> right there. Uh, and it will come back to be a problem without a doubt. But that's another story. So, what do we do with this? Well, I think Rebekah and Isaac did pretty much everything right. He prayed for her. Legitimately, Rebecca asked why. She went to God to inquire about it. So my big question is, is do we? You know, if you've got a wife, do you pray for her? If, you know, you've got questions, do you take them to God? And can we trust the plan, even if it might hurt? Again, could it be that it's bigger than us? Could it be that it's going somewhere bigger than we are? That Maybe he's prepping or teaching us somewhere, but it's going somewhere bigger than we are. And I'll say this as, a, as we get ready to pray and um, sing one more song. I'll say this. Um, sometimes we pray and we feel like God's not hearing a word we say. Sometimes we pray and we feel like, man, it's not, it's not getting through the tiles. You know, the, it's not even getting through the ceiling. Sometimes we pray. And we feel like God wouldn't listen to us anyway. Because of all the junk in my life right now. And I can tell you for a fact that there's one prayer that opens the door to heaven to start all prayers. And that's repentance. That's to be able to lay yourself before the Lord and say, not my will, 
yours be done. And my will has done nothing but railroad my life. That's what the gospel message is about. That we can't save ourselves, but he can. That he has provided salvation for us. That's the first prayer is to say, Lord Jesus, you rule my life because I can't do it. And every time I try, it goes wrong on every level. You be in charge. Your will be done. I trust your plan. Even when I don't understand it, I'm still going to trust it. If you guys will stand up, I'm going to pray. And um, we'll go ahead and sing another song. But as I say every week, listen, if you guys want to talk to me, come talk to me. If you guys want to, there's things you need prayer about, I want to pray. We pray. There's a sheet back there, or little cards back there. Drop one in the box if you want to write something. We pray for that as a team every week if you leave something. And um, if you want to get baptized, if you want to be part of the church, come talk to us. But we're going to take a few minutes and kind of process. And I do, do it too. That's what I'm walking right down here and thinking about his word right along with you guys. So we want to take a minute before we go and kind of process what his word said, make sure you walk out of here thinking about his word and not my mouth. So, Lord, I love you. You are awesome. Um, I am grateful that you're sovereign. I feel like my stubborn, selfish heart fights with that a lot. But I'm glad that I know I can trust you, even when I don't want to. Lord, I I pray today that as we walk out of here that this is not something that just goes checked off like a calendar and we X the Sunday, there's another day in the books and, you know, even for me, file the sermon and we're done here. I I don't want it to ever be that way. It's your word. Lord, these people lived. Rebecca lived. She's with you. Um, That's wild. We'll get to meet her one day. Lord, I, I... Just don't ever let us wash these things away like they're just stories or ideas or people's lives or just, oh, they're just principles for us. It's not. Lord, it's who you are. It helps us see who you are. And we trust that you hear our prayers, so it matters. God, we ask these things for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.